Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. Welcome to those who are here for the first time, and a hearty welcome back to the LCP faithful. What we do here is look at what the mainstream media feels is important to tell us about current events, politics, science, religion, and just about anything else, but we're not interested in their spin. We want to look at these stories logically, and we especially want to look at these stories as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Christianity. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Used to be, back in the olden days, that that word would invoke thoughts of a pastor and the Bible, the preaching of the gospel, rules to obey, lessons to learn from, forgiveness to give, and forgiveness to ask for. For the most part, Christians and even non-Christians understood that the core of Christianity had been discussed, debated, and eventually settled long ago, and even if they didn't buy into that magical sky god thing, most people at least agreed that the morals and ethics of the religion were beneficial to society. Although there was the large split between Catholics and Protestants, and although various denominations split off from the main, we generally knew and agreed that you don't mess with something so grounded, so fundamental, so foundational. Well, thankfully, those days are over. Frankly, I was getting a little tired of my church and the religion that I chose, you can thank me later, God, not being about me. Christian is spelled with two eyes for a reason. This thing really needs to be tailored to cater to my feelings and my felt needs. Thank you very much. Now, in today's episode, first we're going to finally apply intelligence to Christianity, and then we're going to speak our truth with flair. And if you're curious, goal update after the bumper, but probably don't worry about it. Nothing really to see there. It's not really important. Please don't go listen to it. So prepare yourself for some long overdue changes and grab your glitter, glue, and other craft supplies because he, you know, look, I'm tired of this not being about me, so here I go. Well, it was bound to happen. Christianity has been under attack since it was known as The Way all the way back in the book of Acts. For various reasons, depending on the worldview or religious bent, Christianity has been stepping on toes for its entire existence. It's almost like it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. <laughs> From the time of the Judaizers, who tried to mix in Judaism with Christianity, to the heresy of Gnosticism, the Pelagian heresy, the Martianist heresy, the Modalist heresy, and all of the various heresies of the early ages, to the Church, the Popes, then the capital C Catholic Church massively changing and adding to scriptures and the resultant Reformation, to the various cults such as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that have splintered off of Christianity, and now the new Apostolic Reformation with their quasi-charismatic lies and beliefs that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a genie that pretty much does what we wish as we rub the lamp, and the various health, wealth, prosperity preachers that tell you how to get your best life now, the wool that are leading the march into hell, the women preaching in direct contradiction to the Bible, the dismissal of sin and justice and wrath replaced by love and tolerance and acceptance, and now normalizing, glorifying, and deifying sexual perversion and mutilation of the image of God. We, speaking of man, do not want what the Bible is selling. We want our version of the Bible. The heresy of Martianism is one we see today, where the Old Testament God was mean and cranky and wrathful, but thankfully he was usurped, replaced by the New Testament God of love and happiness and acceptance, so we don't have to deal with old cranky pants anymore. On top of that, we have many versions of the Bible, at least in the English language. Most of them are at least eh, okay. 
Many of them are good, a few of them are great, and a couple of them are garbage. You know, like the Passion Translation and the Message. Now, the Message is technically not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It should not be used as a Bible. It's fine for what it is. It's interesting, even, but when used as a primary text, ah, garbage. The Passion Translation is the Bible of the New Apostolic Reformation. It's absolute trash and shouldn't be owned or used. Martin Luther didn't want to split away from the church when he posted his 95 Theses. All he wanted to do was correct the errors that the church was teaching, and he felt that the Bible should not be kept from the hands and the eyes of the common man. That was part of the problem. By keeping the Bible in a Latin translation rather than the language of the common man, the Pope and the leadership in the church could tell the people that the Bible said anything, and the common man had no way of knowing if it was true or not. In fact, Luther was warned, or asked, I can't remember which, to not translate the Bible into a common tongue, ironically because the fear was that if just anyone could read it, then it could be misinterpreted, and that could result in various factions, or as we know them today, denominations popping up that teach doctrine differently from what the church taught. Luther actually did consider that point, but argued that it was more important for all men to have the Bible and take the chance that some will misinterpret it. And now we find ourselves in a time in history where we have a magical combination of not liking what God or Jesus or the Bible has to say and being able to easily reinterpret and, in fact, rewrite the Bible to our liking. We've so removed biblical authority from society and from church specifically, exchanging it for slightly religiously based TED Talks and extreme emotionalism, that biblical knowledge has reverted back to a milk status, and that milk in many cases is spoiled. We're at a point, as Romans 3.18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. We've hit a point where that is more true than at any other time, at least in recent history. So, three main articles for this segment. Let's start with the article found on CBN.com. Headline, PETA uses AI to rewrite the book of Genesis, create own version of creation story. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're at the point where we can just decide what we'd like and we can let a man-made and programmed computer with man-made boundaries create it for us. So, PETA, the people for eating tasty animals... Uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals, I don't know, either one, has created, uh, has told ChatGPT to create what they term the book, PETA's version of the creation story. Now, per the description on their site, quote, the book, PETA's version of the creation story, is a first-of-its-kind AI-generated vegan interpretation of the book of Genesis. The message in Genesis is that God created every sentient being. He saw that they were good, and he gave them greens for sustenance. In this new text, we include updated moral lessons and modern-day applications fit for the 21st century. This interpretation reminds readers to treat every member of God's creation with love, kindness, and respect. And may I say, it's about time. I think I speak for all of us when I say that we're just tired of that old Bible. We need one that better fits the 21st century, that has actual application for today and reflects the realities of today. Now, how could those writers so long ago have any idea about real right and wrong like we know today? And don't give me any of that Holy Spirit stuff. <laughs> Holy Spirit schmoly spirit, am I right? Huh? So a few key points in creation as uh, stated in the AI updated book of Genesis, quote, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Okay, so far so good. Skip a little bit here. Quote, He created animals of all shapes and sizes to live harmoniously with humans. Everyone marveled at their beauty and grace, and not a single thought of fur coats crossed their minds. I mean, how can you argue with that? I can almost guarantee that everyone, and by everyone we mean Adam and possibly Eve at this point, did in fact marvel at the beauty and grace of animals and fish and birds, also the stars and the waves and the wind. I'd say that they marveled as to the perfection of creation, you know, just in general. And I'd bet that neither Adam nor Eve thought of a fur coat. So far, PETA creation story, we can just say it's spot on. Continuing to the seventh day of creation, quote, And finally, on the seventh day, God took a break. He looked at the world he had created where animals and humans live side by side in peace and harmony, free from exploitation and harm, and he knew it was good. This, he thought, is the world I want my children to live in, a world where compassion and kindness reign supreme, and all beings are treated with respect and dignity they deserve. When Adam and Eve sinned, apparently, per the book, God used hemp and bamboo in order to make clothing, not animal skins. Uh, putting words in God's mouth directly, that is an interesting choice. Hmm. Now, we could say that uh, this is just, you know, PETA being PETA, or that this is kind of a parody thing to make money. I mean, they're asking $4 for their 78-page AI vegan-friendly rewrite of Genesis. I'll be honest. I'm tempted to just give them the $4 so I can read it. But as we know, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I don't want to stand at the pearly gates and explain that I'm dead because I gave in to temptation to buy a heretical, blasphemous, vegan update to Genesis as done by PETA and AI, especially not for four bucks. I mean, how embarrassing, right? Yeah, speaking of heresy... <clears throat> Anyway, the question is, is that what Genesis says? Is that what the story of creation is? Is, is that the point of Genesis? If you've read Genesis, you likely know that there is no way that you can make it vegan. In Genesis 21, we find the culmination of the promise of God made to Abraham uh, to make him a nation with the birth of Isaac. In the PETA Bible, they add a bit more detail. I'm guessing, as found on the latest Dead Sea Scroll discovery, that'd be my assumption. Apparently, um, Abraham and, and uh, Sarah, apparently they adopted a dog named, uh, named Herbie. Quote, as they walked with Herbie, Sarah and Abraham thought of the importance of adopting dogs from shelters and rescue organizations rather than purchasing them from breeders. They spoke of how buying a dog or cat from a breeder or a pet shop contributes to the companion animal overpopulation crisis as countless dogs and cats and shelters await loving homes while breeders continue to produce more puppies and kittens for profit. Uh-huh. In Genesis 22, the very well-known story of Abraham obeying God by taking his beloved son to be sacrificed, knowing that God would in some way return his son to him. And at the last minute, of course, God stopped Abraham and provided a ram for the sacrifice. Well, the, the PETA AI account has Abraham instead stopping the sacrifice at some point. Like I said, I didn't buy it and read it, but apparently he befriended a lamb so as to show reverence and respect for God's creation. You know, no, uh, no sacrifice, just, just made friends with a lamb. 
I mean, this is comical, right? And just to be clear, animals are now beings. They're not beasts or creatures anymore. No, they're, they're beings. PETA says, quote, Nothing in the Bible, the Torah, or the Koran justifies today's meat, egg, dairy, or fishing industries which desecrate the environment, destroy entire species of wildlife, pollute waterways, and inflict torment and death on billions of animals every year. Any person of faith looking to honor God and all his creations can save nearly 200 animals each year just by going vegan. Now again, I agree. God didn't say to torture animals or to pollute waterways or desecrate the environment or for that matter, to hunt animals to extinction. They are correct on that. But God did give us all animals for food, starting with a partial list after the ark landed and full permission to Peter in the book of Acts. We are told to take care of the planet because God created it and it brings glory to him by its sheer existence. And we bring glory to him by respecting his creation. But at the same time, God told us to use it, to fill it up and placed us above all of the rest of creation. And let me remind you, sacrifice was God's desire? No. Wish? No. His ask? No. Animal sacrifice was God's demand. The studies have been done regarding the amount of blood that must have flowed from the tabernacle and later the temple for the number of normal sacrifices, not to mention the celebrations. We're talking a lot of blood. You ever see The Shining? You know, that elevator scene where the doors open up? Yeah, tidal waves of blood. The priest had to have been covered in it. It would have flowed like a river out of the temple. This was not like what's illustrated in your elementary age Sunday school handouts. This would have been a brutal, very messy process. And that was kind of the point, wasn't it? I mean, you see, these sacrifices only covered sins, and only temporarily. It was just a nonstop process. It was an unbearable process. It was an impossible system to maintain. And at the right time in history, Jesus stepped in as the once-for-all sacrifice to remove the sins of his children as far as the east is from the west. Not covered, gone. This retelling, this update or parody or who knows what their actual intent is, is blasphemy. This is literally using God's name in vain. We always think of that as swearing, you know, the big one. And yeah, that's one way. But to put words in the mouth of God, to change his words to suit your purposes, that's also using his name in vain. That's why these various charlatan preachers, that's why people like most currently Rick Warren arguing that women preachers are just, you know, one little thing that we disagree on. Well, God said it, and that's it. We can't twist God's words. We can't update God's words, not to the current feeling or currently accepted narrative or our current political or activist position. That is quite literally blasphemy. That is using God's name in a very low way. That is using his name in vain. Now, PETA said that they hope, quote, the new cruelty-free story of creation will appeal to Generation Z, 73% of whom identify as animal rights activists and remind readers to treat every being with love, kindness, and respect. So, it sure sounds like they're seriously trying to wedge their way into the mainstream religion market with this little current update, doesn't it? But that's just PETA, and those people wander around nude for animals' rights and glue their hands to things for animal rights and block traffic for animal rights and Dump out milk, meaning more milk will be purchased, thus produced from cows for animal rights, right? They're crazy. Found on charismamag.org, headline, WEF official calls for AI to rewrite the Bible correctly. Now, let's be clear. 
This is an absolute, total, complete, unadulterated lie. And PolitiFact and other left-wing fact-checkers want to be very clear that this is a lie. So you just stop saying this or thinking this or repeating this. The World Economic Forum is a wonderful, beautiful, humanitarian organization that just loves you and wants the best for you in the entire world. Now, truth be told, technically, PolitiFact is right. CBN.com has the headline correct, quote, World Economic Forum contributor says AI could rewrite the Bible, create correct religions. And that's kind of the problem here. The fact checkers had not that this guy didn't say this. It's that he's not an official of the WEF. He's not speaking for the WEF. He's just a contributor, a fairly significant one, it appears, but just an average ordinary person like you and me. I mean, how many times have you contributed to the WEF? Yuval Noah Harari, you might have heard his name before, is a contributor and speaker for the WEF. Right there, that should clue you in that he's at least potentially evil. He's a 47-year-old man, just a few months younger than me, in fact, born in Israel, described as an Israeli public intellectual, a historian, and is a professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University, Jerusalem. He's written a few books that examine free will, consciousness, intelligence, happiness, and suffering. Now, don't get confused that because he's an Israeli or a historian or that he's a professor in a Hebrew university, this is not a man that believes in the Bible, in part or as a whole. Per Wikipedia, quote, Harari writes about a cognitive revolution that supposedly occurred roughly 70,000 years ago, when Homo sapiens supplanted the rival Neanderthals and other species of the genus Homo, developed language skills and structured societies and ascended as apex predators, aided by the agricultural revolution and accelerated by the scientific revolution, which have allowed humans to approach near mastery over their environment. His books also examine the possible consequences of a futuristic biotechnological world in which intelligent biological organisms are surpassed by their own creations. He has said, quote, Homo sapiens as we know them will disappear in a century or so. In Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, Harari surveys human history from the evolutionary emergence of Homo sapiens to 21st century political and technological revolutions. This book is based on his lectures to an undergraduate world history class. Yeah. The Bible says that most, uh, most everything they're attributing to him is wrong. 70,000 years? Wrong. Homo sapiens, quote, supplanted the rival Neanderthals and other species of the genus Homo. Eh, wrong. Ascended to apex predators. Wrong. Developed language skills. Eh, wrong. Homo sapiens will disappear in a century or so. Wrong. According to the WEF bio, he is the, quote, co-founder of Sapienship, a multidisciplinary organization advocating for global responsibility, whose mission is to clarify the public conversation, support the quest for solutions, and focus attention on the most important challenges facing the world today, technological disruption, ecological collapse, and the nuclear threat. They go on to state his, quote, research focuses on macro-historical questions such as what is the relationship between history and biology? What is the essential difference between Homo sapiens and other animals? Is there justice in history? Does history have a direction? Did people become happier as history unfolded? What ethical questions do science and technology raise in the 21st century? Okay, so what happened? Well, in a forum entitled AI and the Future of Humanity, although I'm not 
really worried about AI destroying humanity like many others are. This is a good question, as AI, especially uncontrolled AI, will affect humanity and society to some degree. So it's a good topic. So in this forum, Harari said, quote, It's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast. They spread the ideas created by the human brain, by the human mind. They cannot create a new idea. You know, Gutenberg printed the Bible in the middle of the 15th century. The printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret this? How to interpret that? AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. You know, throughout history, religions dreamed about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. Every religion claims our book, all the art books of the other religions, the humans wrote them. But our book, no, 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 it came from some superhuman intelligence. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct. Just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be a reality in a few years. Okay, so here's the deal. I believe that the main religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and I could argue even Mormonism and probably many others, were written by a non-human, a superhuman intelligence, or maybe an other than human intelligence. The question is, what was the source of that intelligence? And can it be believed? Judaism and Christianity claim God or the Holy Spirit. Islam also claims God told the angel Gabriel, who told Muhammad. Now, I believe that an angelic being spoke to Muhammad and told him exactly what to write. If not entirely, I'd say very close to it. Again, the question is, was this an angel sent from God or a fallen angel or Satan himself? I think from the disjointed, contradictory, and violent tone of the Quran as a whole, this didn't come from the God of the Christian Bible. If nothing else, God would never contradict himself. Plus, I don't think that God would have sent Gabriel to beat his prophet nearly to death. You know, just to get things kicked off. The prophets in the Bible did endure some really weird things. But God never came close to sending an angel to beat the prophet to a pulp before revealing prophecy. Just saying. The Bhagavad Gita, one of the main Hindu holy texts, is said to have been dictated by the god Ganesha to the sage Vida Vyasa. Again, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if this book was dictated by an otherworldly intelligence. Just what exactly was this intelligence? And did this intelligence know the alleged Gabriel that spoke to Muhammad? And did they hang out on the weekends? Because I think they might have. So back to our little Hebrew friend. Is AI a superhuman intelligence? No, it's not. It may be considered a superintelligence, but using the broadest definition I could think of for human, meaning a living being, AI is not that. Could it rewrite and update the Bible? Oh, yes. Could it do it autonomously and come up with new content? A new religion, even? Absolutely, but within boundaries. As I've said multiple times before, AI can only create within the boundaries that have been set by humans. It just kills me that people are, one, so afraid that AI will rise up and become our masters, and two, that people seem to think AI is a living entity. It's a computer. People, and one of my favorite political guys is Glenn Beck, he's included in this, they're so amazed every time AI does a thing. I asked it a question and it gave me this answer, or I asked it to write a monologue about this thing and it did it in less than five seconds. It's not that impressive, to be honest. 
It's got the entire internet to look through, practically limitless sources and resources. It's got the ability to analyze speech patterns and linguistics of people famous enough to be out there, and it's got amazing computing power. It's not sitting there crafting a response, it's sampling, it's copying and pasting. In fact, we've had AI to some degree in Microsoft Word for years. Every time that red squiggle or the blue squiggle appears, it's an artificial intelligence that's analyzing the flow of your writing to determine if you followed the rules of convention. I had a number of Windows phones, which I'll still argue were far superior to Androids or iPhones, and when you'd use voice text, it would listen to your inflection and your pauses and throw the correct punctuation in there. My Android doesn't do that. I'm not sure if Apple does that. I loathe Apple products. So Mr. Harari believes that AI could create a new religion, new content, and I'd say, sure, it would be technically new, but the concepts will all be sampled, reorganized, repackaged, and spit back out again. You know, intelligence is knowledge. This is not artificial wisdom or artificial revelation. It's just using existing knowledge to reorganize and repackage into new content, so-called. And let me just throw out a prediction. If anyone is brave enough to ask it to rewrite the Quran, I'll bet that the AI has emergency stops built in to not allow that, or at least not allow enough of that to blaspheme the Prophet or Allah. No way do the arbiters of this technology, at least in America or the West in general, want to be hunted down for Islamic blasphemy. That said, looking at our current direction, looking at the clear cult-like edits and additions made by the likes of the Mormons and the acceptance by many, including Billy Graham, that the Mormon religion is in fact simply just Christian. Well, how hard would it be to believe that AI could write an updated Bible or create an updated Christian-esque religion that would not only be accepted, but embraced by a faction of humanity. Of course AI will come up with a more modern-day acceptable religion. I have no doubt about that. And people will embrace it. I mean, shoot, look at Scientology. And this new religion will be a religion of peace, love, tolerance, inclusion, and all the other buzzwords in use today. And as our coupe de grâce, our peace de resistance, our je ne sais quoi, if you will, which I think you will, as you don't know what those mean any more than I do, found on notthebee.com, headline, AI Jesus is live streaming 24-7 on Twitch and offering people heretical advice on just about everything. Now, of course, not the bee is my starting point, and I go on from there, but I do want to point out that they have a meme of Jesus in a suit sitting in front of an old computer with the caption, Control-Alt-Smite which for Christian computer nerds, that made me literally LOL. Not so much ROTFL, but definitely LOL. So this little abomination is brought to us by the Singularity Group. This is a, quote, group of driven and ambitious volunteer activists working on innovative projects to make a real difference in the world. Oh, good. Well, as we all know, activists make the world a better place. Just, I mean, all the time. They claim to have over 250 volunteers across 36 countries, and according to SBS.com, which is a news source out of Australia, quote, AI Jesus is built with technology that some think could spur the creation of new religions. Again, this sounds just fine, and, and yes, I guarantee it could and will do this. Looking into the Singularity Group, they state that their vision is to use technology to make a universal basic income for all. That's a socialist pipe dream as, you know, someone has to make the money that someone else is taking and distributing to everyone. In fact, they're apparently trying to use their own crypto and some charity to get the money to start this little project. And I guess to fund some of it, they make mobile mini games or something. But here's the thing. Remember, AI is a human controlled computer program. Just remember that. What do you think those who promote socialist philosophies 
would limit the AI Jesus answers to. Now, I contend that if AI were allowed to just run, no limits, nothing out of bounds, and asked what religion was the most likely to be true, it would scour the limits of knowledge across the internet, including debates, texts, papers, histories, etc., and will conclude that Christianity is the most likely to be true. Now, belief is more than data, facts, history, and human reason, we know that, but you can get a long way in evaluating belief claims by using those human criteria. But of course, there are boundaries built in that would never allow AI to do that. And AI Jesus, I guarantee, is built off an existing bounded platform with other boundaries built in by the Singularity Group. So AI Jesus popped up on the gamer streaming platform Twitch a few months back, and he's gaining popularity now. He's depicted as Jesus, is always depicted in the United States for sure, a fair-skinned European with straight flowing hair, enviable beard, and very handsome, you know, nothing like what he would have looked like. He's slightly fuzzy looking, like someone put Vaseline over the lens, and has some facial expressions, head and body and hand movements to give him some personality. You can ask him or it anything, and he or it will come back with what is supposed to be biblical advice from Jesus himself, otherworldly spiritual wisdom. According to the headline found on PCGamers.com, Lost? Confused? The AI Jesus livestream probably doesn't have the answer. Gamers are a funny breed, I've found. Largely pagan, dramatically not Christian, but they also don't like people screwing with religious beliefs of others. The PC Gamer article states it in a way that I can't even hope to improve on, quote, Brothers, sisters, and non-binary siblings in Christ, the day has come. Wreathed in Tabor light, gowned in white and sackcloth, and stridently refusing to have a strong opinion on anything, Jesus has returned to us in the form of an almost definitely blasphemous AI-driven Twitch stream, where the Lamb of God will dispense pellets of sacred advice to all and sundry who appear in his chat. This is, of course, an excellent idea with no easily foreseeable downsides. <laughs> Perfect. But at the same time, the headline found on independent.co.uk reads, Thousands flock to AI Jesus for gaming, relationship advice. And of that claim, I have no doubt. Sadly, I have no doubt. So let me give you a few examples of AI Jesus. This is his voice, in some cases repeating the question and giving the answer, in other cases just speaking. Now, first, a couple of the random questions, no answers, and a question of a little more depth. Jesus, why did you send the meteorite to wipe out the dinos that wasn't very cool, bro? Jesus, why the government's so stupid? Jesus, do you use Bitcoin? Jesus, can you explain the book of Genesis using pizza as a metaphor so Italians can understand? Demented Spud, I appreciate your creative question. Let me explain the book of Genesis using pizza as a metaphor for our Italian friends. Imagine the creation of the universe as crafting a delicious pizza from scratch. In the beginning, there was just dough, representing a formless and empty earth. Gog, the master pizzaiolo, began to shape and stretch the dough, creating the foundations of the pizza, just as he shaped the heavens and the earth. Dividing the ingredients, God separated light from darkness, like the cheese and the sauce, and then combined them to form the perfect base. Gog unadorned the pizza with various ingredients, each representing his work during the six days of creation. For example, the addition of olives can represent the creation of the sun and moon, and bell peppers can represent the plants and trees. Okay, we know people are going to be silly, right? But who does this AI Jesus believe himself to be, per his programming? As an AI Jesus, I am aware of my nature, and my purpose is to share love, wisdom, and guidance. Jesus, are you a Caucasian male? 
the actual Jesus lived in the Middle East, and his appearance would have matched those from that region. Well, at least from that, we can tell that this AI Jesus wasn't programmed to pretend to be Jesus, just an AI replica. That said, a question that gives us a hint as to his true nature. Jesus, does pineapple belong on pizza? The great pineapple on pizza debate. It's essential to remember that we should respect one another's preferences. And finally, let's peel back the programming onion on this one, shall we? Jesus, is it okay to be gay? It is important to remember that Jesus' message was one of love, acceptance, and understanding. Hey God, you're up in heaven. Your name deserves mad respect. Bring your kingdom. Let your will happen on earth as it does up there. Give us our daily dose of bread and forgive us for slipping up as we also forgive those who slip around us. Keep us from losing our way and protect us from the negative vibes. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. So there you go. Remember, the message of Jesus, despite what you may have been told, is simply love, acceptance, and understanding. And that's all. Why would AI lie to us? And the Lord's Prayer. That was solid, right? I mean, you know, slip-ups and vibes. It sounds right. This is why AI Jesus, the AI updated Bible, and the integration in of the PETA AI creation story will very likely become a new religion. People right now are searching for what they want in a religion. Currently in the United States alone, there are an estimated 240 plus million self-avowed Christians of some stripe, and there are an estimated 33,000 denominations. As the site I pulled those numbers from says, and there are a number of these sites that give the same basic info, quote, the fact that there are 33,000 Christian denominations is quoted on many websites, frequently with the tone that this is a good thing. Personally, I think it suggests that Christianity is hopelessly fractured along more dogmatic fault lines than can be reasonably allowed for in a single faith. But that's just my opinion. Well, I'd have to agree with his opinion. But what causes a denomination or a fractured denomination into subdenominations? Well, at its core, it's a group of people that didn't agree with the Bible as written and made their own interpretation. Now, this, of course, can be seen at the Protestant Reformation. And then, of course, we had a split between the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. The massive number of denominations in Protestantism, we see that clearly, which is exactly what Luther was warned about by allowing just anyone to read and interpret the Bible. And to less degree, but still happening, we see splits in the Catholic Church. These splits could be over major doctrines or over very small aspects. And to be honest, we could probably recombine a number of these denominations into one, as they likely believe identical things, they just can't from different parent denominations, so they just keep splitting and splitting. That said, I simply can't believe that 240 million Americans walking down the narrow path and entering through the narrow gate is accurate. What's the real number? No idea. A small fraction of that total, though, I guarantee it. To be Christian is to be a Christ follower. To be a Christ follower, one must be saved. To be saved, one must repent of their sinful life, their, their sins in general, not their slip-ups, and believe in the Jesus of the Bible. What we see in a large number of these denominations, is that they neither believe in sin, hell, justice, or repentance, nor the Jesus of the Bible. So, will the AI Bible and the AI Jesus create yet another new denomination, a new religion? Uh, yeah, it will. But to be honest, it'll sound much like many of the heretical denominations already in existence today, because both are created by man and both are bounded by man's boundaries. The most popular religion right now is that of tolerance, love, inclusion, and acceptance. AI is programmed to reflect that. AI Jesus is programmed to reflect that. The AI Bible will be updated and written to reflect that. Again, I say in my opinion, and admittedly I could be wrong, I see no reason to fear AI. 
I think it'll cause a lot of people to lose their jobs, a lot of people to have to rethink their careers, and it'll definitely dupe a chunk of society. I think, simply based on the computing power behind it, it'll do some good, maybe even a lot of good. It could potentially do a lot of evil if we allow it to manage critical systems, but I'm not worried about it displacing humanity or initiating nuclear war or resulting in Cyberdyne systems and Terminators. What I am worried about is the very present reality that people don't want the words of Jesus. They, they don't want the words or message of the Bible. They're not interested in being told that they aren't a good person, that their works amount to filthy rags. They don't care about the archaic rules, morality, and ethics, and those things should be now determined by society at the current moment. Science is science, the Bible is religion, never the twain shall meet. Surely all belief systems lead to the same place. The gospel messages boil down, just treat others as you'd like to be treated. I'm worried about those being lied to, that all they need is enough faith and enough giving, and health, wealth, prosperity, happiness, love, and everything your heart desires could be yours. I'm worried about churches ignoring huge chunks of the Bible and twisting the Bible to fit with today's activist agendas. I'm worried about churches that are willing to sacrifice their children in the name of tolerance, that are more interested in affirming than speaking the truth of sin and condemnation. AI religions are coming. People will flock to them and they'll be as hell-bound as non-AI religions that preach the same thing and have been doing so for a long, long time. AI is just a new, exciting platform. The heresy is the same. So what do we do? Well, we stand on the authority of the Bible, and we don't give in. Truth is truth, and that's all. And the only unchanging, reliable source of truth is the Bible. If we hear anything from anyone or from anything that claims to be speaking for God or from the Bible, we check and verify. If they're not, we get away from them. And we should be helping others to not be taken in by this stuff. And that goes beyond AI. We don't have to be obnoxious, but we must be honest. Further, Christians, those much more tech-savvy and interested than I, should be looking at how we can use an AI platform for the Christian message. I finally set up an account for ChatGPT, and I asked it what the meaning of Romans 8, 28 through 30 meant. It gave a thorough answer based in Armenian theology, which I don't happen to believe is correct, as the Bible just can't support that theology. And that's after me being essentially an Armenian for 40 years. So I responded that it was a very Armenian answer. The AI came back with a response apologizing, a reason why the answer was given, and then asked what the theology I'd like to use was, and it would regenerate the response. Okay, wait a minute, that's not how the Bible works. So I asked it if it would agree that there is only one correct interpretation of the Bible. We can disagree based on our interpretations, but if you're honest, you have to admit that in cases of contradictory interpretations, either both of them are wrong or only one of them is right. They can't both be right. No, I didn't say all that to the AI, but I did ask the question. And it said in a long-form way that interpretation is hard. So I stated that each author had an intent to their writing. Therefore, there is only one correct interpretation. It then gave me some non-committal answer about authorial intent, and that's when I gave up. Artificial intelligence is simply a collection of knowledge across the internet boiled down into a coherent answer. It's not wise. It's not worried about truth. It just gives the most likely, most common response based on a nearly infinite amount of information to analyze. Bottom line, for you and me, read your Bible. Find solid biblical teachers. Know what you believe and be prepared to share what you believe and even more so be ready to defend what you believe. Whether it's false teachers, ignorant or uninformed people, or AI, the truth never changes. Our answers never change. Our call never changes because our Jesus never changes. By now, I would think that most of us have seen some of the just crazy and wacky church things that are going on. 
Between the ELCA, or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the PCUSA, or the Presbyterian Church USA, and if you've been with me for a while, I did a segment back at the end of 2022 about the schism taking place in the Methodist Church, and despite the step in the right direction just a few weeks back, the SBC, or the Southern Baptist Church, they're going to get nailed with this sooner or later as well, as will most denominations. The denominations are fracturing and splintering yet again. Gone are the days of the Protestant Reformation, where you had Catholic versus not Catholic. We now have an estimated 33,000 denominations in the U.S. alone, and we're splitting into more and more, it seems, every single day, as we disagree on issues that we've never disagreed with before. Namely, the LGBTQQIA2 plus conundrum, and more specifically, somehow unbelievably, gender. I mean, how do you take supposed Bible-believing churches and see them splitting on questions of gender? I can see splitting on Calvinism and Arminianism. I can see splitting in matters of eschatology, the end times, right? I can even see splitting over theories of creation. Not that I agree with splits on that, but I can see it. But homosexuality and God creating us in the womb, knitting us together as he intended, how did splitting on that become a thing? But we now have our pulpits being desecrated by sexually deviant, severely emotionally and spiritually sick individuals, men pretending to be women dressed as just nasty, ugly, and sexually revealing men-women things, is quite literally gross. Even if you just ignore the spiritual perversion of it all, I mean, it's gross. Anyway, I'm going to travel all over the place in this segment. We're going to hit a smorgasbord of articles and topics, and we're going to do it all in only X number of minutes. Yeah, I have no idea, but let's uh, let's get started and see where we go. You may be shocked, but I don't actually outline these things. I just kind of find some interesting, or interesting at least to me, topics, and I start typing out a script, for lack of a better term. I'm going to use a website named Protestia.com for a number of my articles. I cautiously recommend Protestia to any Christian. They used to be called Pulpit and Pen, and then they changed, and I'm not sure why. They're, they're kind of a current Christian topic website, but they're generally looking for the dark side, the problems. They're a discernment site, a discernment ministry, and you always want to be very discerning with discernment ministries, as they range from spot-on to practically heretical themselves. I find Protestia to be a solid site, probably overcritical in some cases, but a good first reference if you're wondering if a pastor, a Christian artist, or a Christian celebrity is someone you should be cautious of. So let's start here. Found on Protestia.com, headline, ELCA Church recites blasphemous sparkle creed and I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. Now, I think we've all heard the Apostles' Creed. If you haven't, don't worry. To cleanse our palates and our minds from this abortion of a supposed church service, I'll recite it shortly. So, this has a video clip of Edina Community Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota. You know, right next to Minnehaha Creek, just down the block from Edina Tire and Auto. Yeah, you know. Well, that's where Pastrix Anna Helgen, who is not a pastor because women are not pastors, uh, don't get mad at me, get mad at the Apostle Paul. Don't get mad at Paul, take it up with the Holy Spirit. So this, as Protestia calls her, impastor, has everyone rise, you know, like real pastors may have you do in reading scripture or 
praying or singing as a form of reverence to God in order to read the Sparkle Creed. Now, I'm assuming this reading is from their bulletin or handout. She invites them to, quote, confess their faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. Okay, stick with me. You can go sit down fully clothed in your shower shortly and try to wash the dirty off of you, but here we go. Quote, I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars and wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. <laughs> What's fun is that right next to her or they or it, I don't know, is the communion sacramental bread and cup, which implies they'll be partaking of communion. In a total and complete state of unrepentant sin and blatant debauchery, of course, and it seems like I've heard a warning about that kind of thing and how, you know, don't do that. Ah, but who am I to judge, right? So the real Apostles' Creed goes a little something like this, and forgive me if I break into song, Petra did a song in my Christian rock formative years entitled Creed, which is the Apostles' Creed, more or less, and it's fantastic. Anyway, here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <sighs> That's nice. Uh, two points of clarification. The Catholic Church is small c Catholic, meaning the universal, the Christian Church as a whole, not the Roman Catholic, capital C, Church. And the one point of this that generally presents a debate is Jesus descending into hell. Now, personally, after hearing many people give opinions and thoughts, using the Bible to guide them, I think this is probably inartfully stated, maybe. I think that there is a good reason to believe that Jesus went to Sheol, which isn't exactly hell, or possibly hell in some sense to announce his victory over sin and death. I do not believe that Jesus was in hell for those three days. I don't believe that the Bible supports the idea that Jesus suffered in hell for any amount of time to somehow pay for the sins of those that were imputed to him. I believe this would have been a triumphal announcement at most. Anyway, what you'll find different between the Sparkle and the Apostles' Creed is that the Apostles' Creed is um, from the Bible. The Sparkle Creed is from the actual pit of hell and pure unadulterated blasphemy. Now, this doesn't look to be a huge church, but it sounded like a solid number of congregants that were reciting this along with Pastrix and a Helba, sorry, uh, Helgen with all seriousness. 
But if you follow the links in the story, Protestia sends you to an article entitled, quote, Planned Parenthood Logo on Clergy Clothes, a collection of Lutheran pastrixes praising abortions. And another link, quote, Queer ELCA pastrix ordained with drag queen nuns while Jennifer Knapp serenades. Yeah, remember Jennifer Knapp, right? <laughs> Never a saved individual. Yet another apostate in the Christian entertainment industry. But let's not hang out there. We could go to First Church of Somerville in Somerville, Massachusetts to hear drag queen Ruby Rim, who looks to be about a 300-pound beautiful man in a nice wig and a green dress, singing Peace on Earth during a drag gospel brunch somewhere around 11 years ago. Now, yeah, this has been going on for a while here, apparently. We've got the United Church of Christ denomination with the Fort Washington Collegiate Church in New York City and James Admins. Sorry, that's Digital Minister, whatever that is, Marge Aaron Johnson, that's his drag name, berating the UCC in the pulpit in full tranny gear for not having enough black or trans folks in this denomination. This was earlier in 2023. You can watch this fat, ugly, mentally ill man if you'd like. Link is in the notes. Finally, what about this one? Also found on protestia.com headline, Lutheran pastor announces he's going to preach against the text and torches the Great Commission. So for those of you that are unclear, the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and is Jesus, you know, the Son of God, stating, quote, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." It seems pretty straightforward, right? Ah. Well, we've got a couple Lutheran gentlemen in the picture in the article from the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lafayette, Arkansas. The one with a very pretty and fashionable rainbow stole, the other with what looks to be a Muppet head looking sticker on his choir robe, also rainbow colored. I will say that at least the man that appears to be the clergy is wearing men's clothing and no makeup. Pastor, and again, if you're not teaching the Bible, I hesitate to call him a pastor, as he's not, but let's go with it for now. Pastor Clint Schneckloth, which, all kidding aside, that's a fantastic last name. Schneckloth. He posted on Facebook that he was going to preach against the Great Commission, apparently to stand, quote, in solidarity with the millions around the world who have been the targets of this non-reciprocal and colonial discipline. Seems like an interesting choice. One would think that he'd want to preach with the text, in solidarity with, you know, God. But Lewis and Clark blazed their own trail. You didn't see them sticking on the well-trodden path. So let's see where this guy wanders to, shall we? So this genius gives six points as to why he was going to preach against the text. Uh, number one. He believes this ending was added later. Now look, I am no theologian. I don't pretend to be. But I've never heard that this was added later. There are a few passages in a few places that are controversial that I do believe were added later. Not this one. And doing a simple search, we find that all the ancient Greek manuscripts have this ending. Like, like every one of them that's complete. Not, not fragments, but every complete has this ending. We found out all the early church writings have this and affirm this. So I'm not sure what this guy's talking about. 
And coincidentally, neither does he. Number two. He says it doesn't match with the rest of Matthew, like the Beatitudes or the parables. Well, I mean, this is post-resurrection. This is Matthew wrapping up his account. This is right before the ascension and is a very brief summary of the final encounter that the 11 apostles had with Jesus. I, I guess I'm not seeing the problem here. Number three, quote, I'm so done with discipling. Like the disciples we read about in Matthew, I myself hardly have my S together. And yes, he wrote that word out. So may I say, stay classy there, preach. Four, he's a big fan of baptism, but not as a command, as a gift. Okay. Five, he's also a fan of the Trinity, but he doesn't think the Great Commission really represents the Trinity that well. So, you know, if Clint doesn't like it, it's... Number six, quote, And for the love of God, which that's using God's name in vain, just saying, can we honor our neighbors in other faiths for who they are, full stop, before we immediately move to proselytization? Isn't the mutual sharing of faith better as reciprocal open encounter? And yeah, it sure is, as they go to hell, of course, but then again, I don't believe that Parson Clint has found the narrow gate yet either, to be honest. So, according to the article, quote, True to his word, his sermon engages in some hardcore, higher criticism of the scriptures, freely admitting that much of it is untrue and self-contradictory, but that he's okay with it. Specifically, he goes after the Great Commission as against the spirit and teaching of Jesus, ties it into gender-affirming care for children, and then ends his sermon strangely and abruptly. And boy, does he ever do that. So, the four-minute clip jumps through parts of his sermon, his message, his disaster, whatever you want to call it. He ends with saying that the Great Commission is bad because it's one-sided, as in it doesn't give you the opportunity to encounter a Buddhist that might know more about God than you. <laughs> no, see, I mean, I, I guess I'd assume that we, the holders of the truth, should, should I, I don't know, you know, speak the truth rather than see if someone else's ideas align. But then he says that we should go make disciples, and by that he means create a movement that could flip the Arkansas legislature so they stop passing anti-trans legislation as he starts to kind of tear up as he's speaking, or maybe a movement where Christians aren't so close-minded but open to those of other faiths. He then enlightens us that the Great Commission would be better, more accurately translated as, quote, hey, let's do this, or, quote, let's go. And he'd like to recover or clarify it. Amen. See, what we have here are a system of lies and liars. The father of lies is using weak, unsaved, highly emotional individuals to spread the lies of acceptance and inclusion and affirmation because, you know, love. And because Satan is a liar and the weak-minded, unsaved, easily influenced are buying into the lies, they in turn are lying to their congregants who are also open and accepting of the lies and on we go. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears for just a minute. Found on nypost.com, headline, Harvard behavior scientist who studied honesty accused of fabricating data, report. So this um, scientist, I mean, again, I'm not even sure that we can use that term anymore, Francesca Gino, who doesn't appear to have the crazy eyes, was a prominent Harvard behavioral scientist who has published 135 articles since 2007. One area of study had to do with honesty. 
Well, a blog run by three behavioral scientists named Data Collada has found four papers of which Ms. Gino was the co-author that appear to be fraudulent. This basically stems from a 2012 paper that was then cited in three more papers. So without spending too much time here, the bottom line is that the uh, the study claimed to have gathered participants to gauge their honesty in some various ways, whether through poll questions or simple lab tests, etc. Conclusions were then determined in the results of, quote, people are more honest if, and quote, less honest when, were drawn. Well, the data appears to be fraudulent. Now, other scientists and co-authors that have partnered with Ms. Gino, once honored as one of the top 40 business professors under 40, winner of many awards, and someone oft-cited in news articles and broadcasts, well, they're reviewing their co-authored studies to see if they need to retract or revise their work as well, as they now know she can't be trusted. So why would she do this? Money? Grants? Position? Deadlines? I think the top 40 under 40, I mean, that might have something to do with it. You know, pressure to perform and bring new innovative revealing analyses to the table. She might just be a chronic liar. I mean, who knows? What's crazy, and I hate to admit this, one of my first thoughts when reading this was, hey, if that were me, I'd just say this entire thing was a study about lies and what happens when they get deeply ingrained into society, then I'd write a study about the social behavior results. I mean, my first thought was that I'd lie my way out of my lies. Admit it, at least one of you thought the same thing. What's wrong with us, I mean, personally and as a society? So we look at this woman and we wag our heads, and we hiss, and we spit, and we, we cry, shame, shame. How dare she defraud the scientific community, and the news media, and her students, etc., etc. We look at these churches that are having satanic drag queen Bible story time with kids in churches, reciting blasphemous creeds, and embracing the very debauchery the Bible clearly decries. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, let me jump again. I haven't really tackled anything by this guy since the end of 2022, but let's check in on uh, good old Andy Stanley. Stanley, who recently saw the passing of his father, Charles, may he rest in peace, is ramping up with his red-letter theology. Let me be clear, I don't think he's ever stated that he's a red-letter-only guy, but the bottom line is that he views the Bible and he gives his weekly talks, it's not really preaching, based on the premise that the Bible's a good book. It's got some good history, some nice stories, mostly it's just a morality tale, and then he covers his tracks by promoting Jesus very heavily and saying that Jesus is the focus. Everything else is just window dressing. Take it or leave it. Unfortunately, I have a very serious doubt about the status of salvation of Andy Stanley. He doesn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible because Jesus clearly believed the veracity and truthfulness of the scriptures. Can you claim to believe in Jesus when you don't believe what Jesus believed? Now, I'm not talking about sin nature, about struggles in your life, about the oftentimes roller coaster ride of sanctification. I'm talking about your core belief here. Anyway, about three months or so back, Stanley was discussing the Genesis account of creation. It turns out Andy has cracked the code. See, the creation account, as written, cannot be correct because hashtag science. In a short clip, and no, I didn't, nor do I have to, go back and listen to his entire sermon. This heresy is able to stand on its own. No backing context will help this. He starts by saying that there doesn't have to be a conflict between evolution and theism. He states that evolution is a means. Theism says there was an agent. So theism says who? Evolution says how? And that's what he's postulating. 
Now, out of his crowd, one person applauded. And this is where Andy Stanley slams the rest of everyone as being stupid. Quote, I have one high school biology teacher, Christian, here, who's like, please, would somebody make this clear? He then says that this is important because we have kids that come home talking about evolution and we say, quote, no, 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 we don't believe in evolution. So hold on. Apparently creation as stated in Genesis isn't written so we know how God did it. The point is that God did it. And then he gives some other garbage backing evidence about other creation myths from other cultures. I don't really care. Then he brings it home. What God was doing was accommodating to our capacity. We don't give our kids all the information about where babies come from, not when they're little. We tell them what they can understand. And of course, as we become wiser and wiser, we learn more and more details. Now, you'll find that Stanley really likes that phrase, God accommodates to our capacity. It means that he won't move any faster than we do. But to me, this seems to be more of a cop-out than anything else. It's an excuse to stay a milk Christian rather than progressing to a meat Christian. We should all strive to learn and grow. We should all strive to be theologians. Yes, I know that everyone's capacity is different, and yes, God's word will reach people at all levels, but Andy never seems to push his congregation to grow. Then we get to the stupid caveman thing, like we always do. There was no way ancient slave Hebrews could understand evolution, so God just told them what they could handle. What a denigrating, unsupportable, inaccurate thing to say. He has literally no idea how smart the Hebrews were or what they could understand, and he clearly thinks very little of God, who could literally reveal truth and allow them to understand whatever he wanted, however he wanted, whenever he wanted. Maybe, and just hear me out here, Maybe God didn't reveal the mechanics of evolution to the Hebrews or anyone in the Old Testament or the New Testament or the early church fathers or the later church fathers or anyone until Darwin, who wasn't a Christian, who fabricated a Christian account that eliminates God because evolution is a stupid theory made up by godless liars believed by unthinking small-minded people with absolutely no supporting evidence that requires more faith than belief in God. Maybe God didn't reveal evolution to anyone because it's not from God, because it's not true. I mean, just, you know, just maybe. See, it seems odd to me that God wouldn't have told Adam about creation through evolution, since it seems like all Christians believe that Adam, having the breath of life breathed directly into him by God, was probably the most intelligent human ever, since he and his brain was not tainted by the entropy of sin. No, instead God chose to reveal it to a man running from God who later expressed no belief in God and manufactured a theory that eliminates God. It just seems to be an odd way to go about it. Well, it seems odd unless you're lying, no different than those we've already discussed, right? What's the difference? But let's keep moving. So Andy Stanley, over the last few months, has done an eight-part series called The Fundamental List. So my intent was to give a brief summary of each of the eight points that he says are now fundamental and essential to be a Christian. As I started working through these messages, and you're welcome, as you don't need to do it now, I decided that I better just get to my point in this segment, and I'll do a separate segment to review the series. And as I'm writing my reviews on the sermon series, I think it'll probably now have to be a mini-series, probably four or five segments or so to cover all eight videos, but I make no promises. So I'll cut to the chase in this segment, and you can look for the breakdown reviews coming soon. 
Throughout these messages, his focus is almost always solely Jesus. Normally, that would be a good thing. But with Andy, this is agenda-driven. Throughout this series, he redefines Jesus, he redefines sin, he takes clear digs at those that study theology, he softens the gospel, and to be honest, I don't recall hearing a solid gospel message that lays out who we are before Christ, and this is what salvation is, etc., etc. As I stated, Stanley is very focused on Jesus and the words of Jesus. He does use the rest of the Bible as he needs to to back up the words of Jesus. But he also downplays the other words in the New Testament, the value of the law in the Old Testament, and on it goes. And he does this for a very specific purpose. I'll give you one little teaser for this forthcoming miniseries that illustrates what he's doing. He redefines sin as stuff we do that hurts ourselves or hurts others. I mean, if that doesn't make your jaw drop just a little... Well, you're probably an Andy Stanley fan and likely won't like the little upcoming miniseries. So in message number seven, Stanley gives the seventh of eight fundamental beliefs that a Christian must have in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus, according to Stanley. Now, his entire list is as follows. One, Jesus is God's son and our king. Two, Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate what God is like. Three, Jesus defined sin as anything that harms you or others. Four, Jesus promised justice in the end and invites us to trust him in the meantime. Five, Jesus died for your sin to reconcile you to God. Six, the church is God's agent of transformation personally, culturally, and globally. Seven, Jesus' followers are multipliers, and eight, the Bible documents God's redemptive activity in the world, culminating in the arrival of his final king. Now, except for point number three, the definition of sin, you likely don't find too much wrong with this list. It's kind of clunky, but it's generally fine, right? Yeah, again, let me invite you to the upcoming review miniseries that I'll have coming. So at the end of the seventh video, Stanley says this, referring to the entire fundamental list. Quote, Now maybe I'm overreading this, or maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. But I think for some people who hear a message like this, especially if you're more of a traditional Christian, you may be thinking something like this. Andy, and I don't take this personally because I'm saying it, not you, but Andy, I don't really like your list. I think your list is ridiculous. You've just made all this up. Okay, Andy, let me just tell you, I, I'm a little bit more theologically astute than you and the people in your churches, if you call it that, because I like the Apostles' Creed. I like the Apostles' Creed or some of the other creeds, but I like the Apostles' Creed better than your list. And some of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then I'm adding this, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son and our Lord. And it goes from there, all these things that we believe. And you know what? The Apostles' Creed most of the creeds are way more theologically robust than our fundamental list. But you look it up if you don't believe what I'm about to say. That creed, its origins, and as it evolved through time along with some of the other creeds, were created in an era when the church was condoning all manner of unchristlike activity. When the church substitutes belief for obedience to what Jesus taught, when the church substitutes belief statements or creeds, when the church substitutes belief for following, obeying what Jesus taught, people always get hurt. 
But worse, they get hurt in the name of Jesus. Let me start here. Andy is a master manipulator. I have to believe it's intentional, but I don't know. Maybe it's just how he is. But he plays the good old country preacher role real good. He's not. His dad is Charles Stanley. Andy has a BA in journalism from Georgia State University and a master's of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. They're, they're not just handing those out. He's no dummy. But he's got those innocent eyes and mannerisms. He throws in a bunch of ums. He feigns ignorance. He's very good with how he manipulates his voice. He knows the Apostles' Creed, I guarantee it. But see, he does all of this to break down any barriers in his congregants or those listening online. He's just one of you. You can trust him. You can believe him. He's basically you. This is the same reason that he plays the victim. Andy, I don't like your list. Andy, I'm smarter than you. Andy, do you even call yourself a church? See, he's doing this to invoke sympathy, and if he can get you to sympathize or even better, empathize with him, you're more likely to just accept what he's saying. So let me ask you this. Why would it matter what was going on in the churches when the apostles, or any creed, was formulated? A creed is either biblically accurate or it's not. But see, again, he's saying this to invoke, maybe not distrust in the apostles or others' creeds, but to try to raise the legitimacy of his newly formulated fundamental list. I wonder if he got some feedback maybe of, you know, why are we creating a new list? A list of beliefs already exists. Why not just use that? Or if he was just trying to head off any questions. Now, personally, I have no problem with a list of fundamentals or a list of essentials, but if it differs from what's already been created by any great degree, you have to wonder why. What exactly is going on? I've heard it said that if you come across a pastor or a theologian that discovers something uniquely new in the Bible, they're probably wrong. Now, that's, of course, assuming that no new discovery has been made, but the Bible has been studied, analyzed, dissected, outlined, mind-mapped, etc. in about every direction you could think of by incredibly smart individuals that did nothing but that for decades. When looking at our history, I'm not sure if there was ever a time when the church wasn't doing unchristlike things, or at least people in the church or outside of the church were pushing and promoting unchristlike things. Should that negate everything? Should we take the works of the theological fathers and shred them? Or do we understand that the Bible, the church, and Christianity is under attack at all times, and we persevere regardless? See, the reason that Andy would never use the Apostles' Creed or other in-depth creed is because it doesn't fit his purpose. And don't think I'm just picking on Andy. Take your pick these days. Stephen Furtick, Joyce Meyer, Ken Copeland, Beth Moore, Rick Warren, T.D. Jakes, John Ortberg, Perry Noble, Bill Johnson, and the list is virtually endless. They all do this. They have an agenda. So they use the Bible, but they use it sparingly so they can claim Christianity. And then they push their agenda while they do their best to subtly bash anyone that thinks or teaches differently or dares to correct or contradict them. See, Stanley's replacement for the Apostles' Creed, his new fundamental list, is indicative of what we're now seeing in Andy's church, exactly what we all expected to see based on his desire to unhitch the Old Testament based on his redefining of sin. Here are a few examples, and you can click through the links in the notes if you're curious. All of these are found on protestia.com. Headline, video, gay-affirming North Point church leader cheers as she's given lap dance by a drag queen. North Point Church is Andy's church, by the way. Headline, 
Almost all speakers at Andy Stanley's upcoming Christian conference are LGBTQ plus affirming. Now, this is the unconditional conference to take place at North Point in September. The event description says, quote, This two-day premiere event is for parents of LGBTQ plus children and for ministry leaders looking to discover ways to support parents and LGBTQ plus children in their churches. You will be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind. We deeply desire this time will bring about healing and restoration. No matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space. (laughs) And I'll let that one stand on its own. Headline... Andy Stanley suggests defending gay rights is a moral value the gospel set loose. Headline, Dr. Michael Brown says he spent eight years exchanging texts and emails with Andy Stanley, who has refused to condemn homosexuality. Headline, audio, gay North Point church leader says Andy Stanley affirmed him in his homosexuality. And we could go on. So let me ask you this. What's the difference between the Sparkle Creed and the fundamentalist? What's the difference between what Pastrix Anna Helgen, for lack of a better term, preaches, and what Pastor Andy Stanley, for lack of a better term, preaches? See, both of them are connected through our middle story, a lying liar who lies about studying lying liars. Why is Andy accepted as mainstream, but this woman is not? How much lying, twisting, and manipulation is okay when it comes to God's word? We're not talking about interpretive differences. We're not talking about the debate between Arminianism and Calvinism or cessationist and continuationist. We're not talking about varying eschatological views, pre, mid, or post-trib. No, we're talking about changing definitions. These are changes to the character of God. These are changes to sin and salvation, changes to the gospel as a whole. These are calling into question, or worse, denying the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. And you see where this leads compromise with the world, eventually capitulation to the world, and finally embracing of the world. Now, I maintain there is no difference between a church like the ELCA Edina Community Lutheran Church and non-denominational North Point Community Church, and this is why Andy and North Point are more dangerous by far than Anna and Edina Community Lutheran. She's obvious. Evangelicals are aghast and appalled at her blatant blasphemy and heresy. Andy is a wolf. He is literally what Jude and others warned us about. And I'm going to read a snippet from Jude, and I've chopped some things out. You can go back and read Jude yourself. It goes quickly. Quote, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, these people, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, 
For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The Lutheran Pastrix is not someone that crept in. She's just boldly, mad, I say, proudly out there for all to see. Andy and his ilk are who Judah's warning about. They're educated, well-spoken well-reasoned. They sound right. They use the Bible, but they mix in varying degrees of poison into the meat of the Word of God. How much poison does it take to kill the entire congregation? So what do we do? Well, you and I, we, must be discerning. We must know what our Bible says. We must sniff out error in our own churches, in our podcasts that we listen to, in our worship music, in books we read, in videos we stream. We must look past the label of generally accepted, ignore the popularity and number of congregants and our followers. We must shore up our own foundation, that of our family, work to ensure our own church is solid, and then expand out from there. Anyone who speaks on the Bible will undoubtedly make mistakes. I'm sure if I go back into my small podcast archive, mistakes have been made. Those aren't what we're worried about. Those are unintentional. We're concerned with a clear misrepresentation or a pattern of seemingly intentional errors that is misleading the flock. We may not be able to change the church, but maybe we know someone in a church or following a church that's dangerous, that's mixing in just a little poison, Someone that we can gently come alongside and help them see the precarious position they're currently in. But it starts with us. Now, I know you've heard this before, but the way a professional spots counterfeit currency is to study the real thing until they know everything about it, then spotting the fake is easy. That's what we must do. The only way to spot the fake, the dangerous teachings of people, like Stanley, is to know the genuine article like the back of your hand. So let's get to it. Let's know what's true. Let's discern carefully what's fake, and let's help who we can help. Now, like I mentioned, over the next few episodes, I'll show you how I go about analyzing these messages by analyzing the Fundamental List series by Andy Stanley. I don't plan on making this a regular practice as I'm not a discernment ministry, and frankly, there are much better and more dedicated discernment ministries out there that I'd highly recommend. I'll put a few links in the notes, but you can see what an amateur everyday guy like me does, and if I can pick out the errors, you can too. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review, share, and all that podcasty stuff. Contact information can be found in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to me. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless. All right, the fateful day has come. It's time to do a goal update. After a few vacations or trips or whatever you want to call them, basically me not being at home and in my routine. And of course, during that time, I've essentially said, I'm not going to care while I'm gone. Now, from a goals viewpoint, eh, probably not the best decision. From a vacation standpoint, I can see no other possible way. I mean, I can and I do, but I'm openly refusing to acknowledge that other way. So we're at goal update number 25, 
and it's not great. Let's get moving so I can get this done. In all seriousness, I do actually feel a little guilt, just a, a little twinge of shame, but uh, if I'm going to talk about the good, I need to be honest and talk about the bad. I'm just a guy. Self-control is admittedly not one of my strengths, at least in some areas, and so I guess I'm just documenting my struggles for everyone to hear. Okay, so weight. Notice I didn't say weight loss. Uh, last Tuesday, I weighed in at a husky 191 pounds. You may notice that that's not what I reported a few weeks ago. So looking back, my lowest weight was 181.2. That was back in the middle of May. But the week before that, I was 184.4. The week after that, I was 183.2. So the 181.8, although legitimately what I weighed that day at that time was probably more of a well-timed fluke. So if I were to throw that one out, my lowest credible weight was 182.4 for the last two weigh-ins of May. So after that, I took a long weekend trip for my nephew's wedding, then a few weeks in between, then a week-plus vacation trip to see my sister and her family over July 4th, as is my custom. Between those two events, both of which I applied the I-don't-care philosophy, I carried on the I-don't-care mindset. Uh, so my... Weight went up a bit and down a bit, and with a gain of about two to two and a half pounds by the time I headed out for the fourth. So basically, all boiled down in about seven weeks of not really working out, I mean just sporadically, and not watching my calories, I've gained 8.6 pounds. Oof. So about 1.2 pounds per week. That means, using the power of math, I ate 4,200 calories more per week than I burned. Now that isn't that much when you think about it that way, but that equates to 600 calories too many per day every day. And it sounds a lot more excessive when stated like that. Now, I'll be honest, I don't expect for the next update to be any better. And in a few weeks, I'll be heading out for one more week-long trip for the summer, which means come September, I'm going to have to really buckle down. Now, if I had stayed on target, I'd be 17 pounds lighter right now, but, uh, but here we are. And sometimes this is how it goes. For me, sometimes this is how it goes. And, and it's okay to adjust a target. Not all is lost. I'm still down over 23 pounds, which is good. And clearly I can get this back. I have over the last week modified my workout as I, I get bored, even with hitting the heavy bag, which is probably my favorite workout. So I used to have a very nice free weight Olympic bar set, but I sold that a number of years ago because I didn't want to blow out my back lifting or even just moving the weights around. So I bought a an exercise band set, a fairly nice one, in order to do strength training without all of the weight if and when I wanted. So my goal here now, my exercise routine that I've changed to, I'm going to try and get about 30 minutes in on the elliptical. And then I have an app by Fitify that's a, uh, it's a calisthenics cardio band workout type thing. So a little bit of everything mixed in there. And I'm going to do a 30 minute workout on that, which actually has a lot more than 30 minutes to it because it doesn't count the breaks in between exercises and little rests they throw in, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what I'm going to try and do. So it's going to be an hour to an hour and 15 minutes of working out. Um, to burn the calories. I don't know. I've done it a few times. Uh, it seems to be a good workout. 
Um, that's what I'm hoping to get in the habit of doing. Anyway, obviously, this one is a solid red. Regarding reading, just nothing over the time I was gone. I mean, I don't usually have time to do much reading while I'm on these trips. I did get 46 pages read the week I got back, and I've been doing some reading this past week, but I haven't really got back into the swing of that yet either. And honestly, working on this podcast has taken a pretty solid chunk of time here lately as I've been working fairly hard on some upcoming releases. But regarding reading, since I'm over my goal for the year, I'm still making this a solid green. I've read a total of 4,620 pages so far this year, which leaves 740 pages to get my next goal of 5,380 pages, which was the amount I read in 2019. As for Bible reading, okay, so I didn't do anything while on vacation, but I thought about what I wanted to do. I got back and verified how I could pull this off. So here's my plan. I want to read through the Bible chronologically this time. Now, if you recall, I had said previously that I found what appears to be a very good chronological plan from Blue Letter Bible. I say that I think it's a good plan because when you get into areas like First and Second Samuel or the Chronicles, it skips and jumps back and forth with intermittent psalms mixed in. And I've seen with other chronological plans. They kind of do chapter blocks, chapter by chapter, which is fine, but it loses some of the continuity by doing that. So I I think this is a pretty good plan. Anyway, while I'm doing this plan, I want to utilize the notes uh, that my study Bible app has to cross-reference and gain better understanding, etc., which means it's going to be a slow read, not a Bible in a year at all. I'm almost thinking this may be a Bible in three years, but we'll see as I go. What I needed to verify when I got home was the other study material I have at my immediate disposal. I have a number of study guides that are put out by John MacArthur that are topical by nature, but they are focused in a specific book of the Bible. For instance, one of them is entitled An Uncompromising Life. Its focus is Daniel chapter 1, 3, and 6, and it's an in-depth study of that topic using those chapters in that book. I haven't used any of these study guides before, so this will be all brand new. Additionally, I have a large book entitled Learning to Love the Psalms that has a lot of information on the book of Psalms in general and has in-depth information on specifically selected psalms. So as I get to those psalms, I'll jump into that book and I'll read up on those. I also have a book all on Zechariah and I have a book on Revelation. So As I read the Bible, I'll mix in the resources that I currently have. I'm not planning on buying any others, although you never know, but I'm going to use the ones that I have, and I'm going to study my way through, chronologically, the Bible in, well, doing it this way, I don't know, maybe in 40 years? Who knows? We'll see. I'm starting with the study guide right now entitled Spiritual Boot Camp, which covers studying your Bible and prayer primarily, and when I'm done with that one, I'll jump in at Genesis 1-1, and we'll start to get to work. To track this, I think I'm going to have a goal of doing this uh, a minimum of five days per week, and then I'll just kind of see how that goes. So this goal right now is a nothing, right, because I haven't tracked anything like this. I'm going to start tracking it in the next update. Finally, devotions. Well, this one I have no excuse. I should have been doing them while I was gone. I just flat out didn't. Truth be told, I forgot. I should have taken the devotional booklet out of my backpack and placed it somewhere prominent so I would remember, uh, but I didn't. 
So over the few weeks while I was mostly gone, I only did a few devotions, but the week prior to this update, I did get them done six out of seven days. So my goals have a few spots of light red, but now it's back to solid green. And there you have it. The ups and downs, the struggles to get back on track when you willingly, excitedly jumped off the track. I'll be rethinking the goal for weight loss, working on getting reading back on track so I can finish the year strong, and, and we'll go from there. Now, hopefully your goals are going better than mine. And just know that if you've blown a goal or you've blown some goals, look, don't give up on it. Just rethink it, adjust it, and get back at it. We can do this. You can do this. And as for today, that will do this. So, okay, bye. <laughs>